Welcome to the podcast series organized by the American Society of Civil Engineering Data Sentencing and Analysis Committee. Our topic today is virtual reality. I'm Paul Wee. Our guest today is Professor Eric Jingdu. Welcome, Professor. Hey, Paul. Thank you for having me today. Yes, Professor Eric Du is an associate professor of civil engineering and industrial and system engineering at the University of Florida. Let's dive into the questions. So, Professor, sure. yep. what is VR? So, that's, that's a good question. So, VR is a simulated experience that can be identical to or completely different from the real world. So usually we use a headset, which we call uh, HMD, uh, head mounted display, or multi-projector systems to create a closed environment that is totally separate from the real world. And usually in the in the simulated environment, we use uh, motion trackers to track the motion, the position of your head and body, and we render the view accordingly based on the computer vision. So by doing that, we can create a delusion that you are in, you are immersed in a simulated world. And also nowadays, uh, uh, we, we often use multimodal uh, sensory feedback systems, such as uh, auditory feedbacks and also haptic feedbacks to enrich your experience uh, in virtual reality and uh, to make it more immersive. Interesting. Recently, we've heard uh, virtual reality and augmented reality. What is the difference between VR and AR? That's a great that's a great question. A lot of people tend to use VR and AR interchangeably, but there's a big difference between the two. Like I mentioned earlier, VR creates a you know separate world from the real world. So you're isolated in this simulation. You cannot see the real world. But uh, AR is the offside. <clears throat> you can definitely see the real world. So we, we use a similar head side of goggle to uh, simulate the virtual objects, but you can also see through the goggle. You see the real world, but also the virtual objects in the real time, uh, on the, at the same time. So you see the virtual objects are overlying on top of the, of, of the real objects. Very interesting. So why do we need to use VR and AR in practice? What are the benefits? And is there an interesting example you can illustrate their usage? Definitely, yeah. So uh, since we are, you know, it's a 100-person simulation, we can always use it to simulate some uh, inaccessible areas and environment that, uh, you know, for example, uh, if you want to train a person but you don't necessarily have, uh, you know, the resources, you can definitely use the pure simulation in VR. And AR, because you can see the real world, it often it's often used to support the, the real world operations. I can give you a quick example, like flying a drone. You know, if you don't have a drone, but you still want to feel how to fly, if you still want to train yourself, if you still want to understand the behavior of a drone, uh, you can use VR. So we just simulate the virtual drone. But once you have this real drone and you want to deploy that to survey a construction site, uh, you definitely want to see the drone yourself, right? But you also want to add additional information like the parameters of the job site, the wind speed. Um, then you can use this head side display to overlay that information on top of your real world view. Um, and, and that's that's AR. Wow. Given your example, it seems VR is a pretty advanced. Is VR a new thing? Um, definitely no. Actually, the origin of VR is disputed. Uh, most of the people believe that the first modern VR system was developed in 1968 by Dr. Ivan Sutherland. So he and his student created a, 
a huge headset system and they put the system in a wire framed room they use the entire room to support the computing uh, units of that and but what you can only see is just a floating cube in the air um, the system was so heavy that it had to use your two hands to hold them and if you're interested by the way paul you can definitely search the keyword uh, uh, first VR system, Dr. Sutherland on YouTube, and you can see how the system was working. Definitely will. That does sound like some in interesting history. If, if that's the case and that VR has been around for more than 30 years, why is it becoming more popular these days? Uh, it all because of the technology advancement. Uh, so actually, we have observed several waves of VR. Uh, in the 1990s, a company called Sega, they actually announced a VR headset system that is very that was very similar to the uh, modern VR system. So they used the LCD screens, uh, stereo headphones, and inertial sensors to track your motion. Uh, but because the technology was there yet, uh, was not quite there yet, so uh, that system actually costed you more than thirty thousand dollars. You know the market was not ready, and uh, we also observed the more. Uh, technology companies invested uh, a lot in VR um, by the end of the last century, like 1998-1999. But uh, similarly, the market was not ready and the cost just couldn't be brought down. So um, we just, you know, it just faded away very soon. Um, I guess the VR became so popular, the change point happened actually in, 90, uh, in 2014. In March 2014, Facebook purchased the Oculus Rift for $2 billion. Um, that was big news at the time. And uh, soon after that, Sony also announced their own VR project, later known as PlayStation VR. Uh, Google also announced their cardboard, a cheap do-it-yourself VR system using your smartphones. And uh, later on, uh, the, a phone company in Taiwan, HTC, also totally switched their business line and produce this uh, VR system called HTC Vive. Um, I guess it became so popular uh, after 2014, it was because the price, you know, was much, you know, became much reasonable. So nowadays, the uh, VR headset only cost you probably about 600 to $700. Uh, just to give you a quick uh, number, you know, uh, by the end of the first half of 2020, uh, more than 82 million VR had a size, how I be shipped worldwide. Wow, those are some pretty large numbers. I can't believe the cost was 30,000. In that case, even even with the reduced cost, uh, it's still a pretty pricey piece of technology for some people. So yeah. in that case, what are the major challenges of using VR AR in practice besides, for example, the budget and cost issues we talked about? There, there, it's, it's actually a very complex uh, process to uh, adapt, to adopt a new technology, right? So the number one thing we often talk about is the change management. Uh, you know, I have talked to many companies, construction companies, who could be potentially benefit from the use of a VR and AR. But, you know, it's not just simple as buying this new headset and start using them on their, on their job site. It's also involved the change to their business process, and that's actually very difficult to a lot of companies. And also, like you said, even $600, $700 compared to 30 years, 40 years ago, uh, you know, the price is, is much cheaper. 
but still that means additional cost to many people especially nowadays uh, you still need a very powerful computer to support vr and ar system yeah, we are talking about something that could cost you two thousand dollars three thousand dollars to support that um and i don't think uh, a lot of these vr ar systems are consumer ready uh, which means that the setup process can still be fairly complex you know you have to uh, follow uh, several steps to scan the environment uh, to uh, set up the baseline for the vr ar system so it's, it's not like you uh, get your phone, download the app, and just click the app and start using that. Uh, it still takes some effort. Um, so I guess that's probably the biggest concern uh, than the, the cost uh, related to VR AR. Um, but also, like, like uh, any new technology, uh, there are still many unknowns about the VR and AR, especially how that uh, how the new technologies will change our perception, our behaviors. I don't think we still have a clear answer to that. So many people actually do have concerns about that. That's also a main contributor to the slow, uh, to some of the uh, obstacles in terms of VR air adoption. Yes, yes. There are definitely uh, issues besides budget and cost. And like you addressed, one of the issues though brought up often is that VR causes motion sickness yes. and is that true and does it affect everybody? Um, actually the, the answer is uh, is fairly clear now about a 15% to 20% people they do have noticeable to severe uh, sickness related to using uh, virtual reality. Uh, I have to say the number actually improved a lot compared to five years ago uh, I guess the reason is because, you know, the graphic card performance improved a lot in the past decade. Uh, so the refresh rate actually increased a lot. So when the refresh rate increased from, let's say, uh, 40 frames per second to, let's say, 120 frames per second, uh, that that helped a lot with uh, the separate sickness uh, issues. But still, no matter how hard you try, no matter... Um, uh, how 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 well the model is developed and uh, how well we improve the refresh rate. Still, about 15% to 20% of people uh, uh, experience strong sickness related to VR. And to be honest, we don't know why. Uh, there's a very interesting hypothesis. You know, it's all because of our genes. You know, because um, you know, usually our brain is adapted to the synchronized motion of our body and vision. But in VR, usually uh, you see the vision is the, the the view is moving heavily, but your body is still sitting there quietly. Your body doesn't move, and that kind of mismatch will make your brain think uh, you just add some poisonous food. So vomiting it all is the way to protect yourself. It's a very interesting hypothesis, but once again, uh, we don't have a, a solid way to to test it. So the answer is no. Um, but the answer is yes to your question that yes, we are does cause cyber sickness to about 15 to 20 percent of people. Okay, so definitely motion sickness is something to be concerned about. Well, if yes. that's the case, does VR or AR bring side effects other than motion sickness to people who use it? And does the time frame matter? For example, using it for a short time versus a long time? That that's a great question, Paul. Um, and once again, the answer is we don't know. You know, um, yes, we did observe that, you know, 
if you put a person in VR for let's say three four hours a day and you observe the uh, uh, spatial cognition and also perception change, behavior changes uh, for maybe two three days, we still see the resi residual impacts of VR. But we just haven't tried to put the person in VR, let's say for a month, and observe the behavioral change for a year. It's so difficult to, conf uh, to perform that kind of experiment. Since we don't have data, it's very difficult to, to, um, to tell you a, a, a clear answer. But my personal guess is VR does have long-term impacts. You know, it's kind of like a video games, right? So, uh, you know, when video games came out about 30 years, 40 years ago, when it became popular, nobody was thinking about people could be, you know, addictive to, become addictive to video games. That could change uh, totally the way you live and also your behaviors. So VR could be a, a, another potential uh, contributor to our future behavior change, but we just don't have data to answer that now. Hmm. Yes, hopefully in the future that with more data, things will be, become more clear. If yes. that's the case, uh, which situations do you think bring special difficulties to people who want to use VR? So how can we make it more mainstream? What obstacles are there? So I, I assume you are asking about uh, like industrial applications, like, you know, using VR, AR uh, to support uh, uh, production works. So if that is the case, you know, uh, first of all, for VR, you know, uh, we still need uh, to hook it up to computers. You know, that's that's we, we we do have several standalone VR products, but the majority of them are still supported by a really strong, powerful computer that view basically limited the uh, uh, mobility of VR system. So if you want to use VR uh, outdoor, uh, that is not not easy and also quite dangerous because VR, like I said, uh, you are isolated in this simulation. So AR, you know, it's becoming more promising today in terms of a simula uh, supporting the operations, but uh, AR can be easily affected by the outdoor environment uh, uh, as well. You know, the sensors building AR can be easily affected by the light condition outside. If it is too bright, the depth camera, the LiDAR sensors can be affected. So AR works in a way that it has to scan the environment first, build the model, understand the environment, and then start, uh, put the virtual objects on top of the real objects. That's, that's what we call anchoring. So the anchoring requires really heavy computing and also requires really good sensor. That's still some technical issues that we we haven't resolved well. So uh, if you are using uh, AR for a small scale operation uh, uh, workplace, that's that's good. But if you're talking about using that for like a construction job site, a totally outdoor environment, the technology is still not there yet. Okay, you did mention something about. Uh, VR in smaller areas. And I think one of the things I have recently talked with is using VR for games. But I've also recently read that VR makes learning easier or reduces your cognition load. How would you address that question? So uh, research still gives conflicting answers. You know, uh, some people observe that a VR can improve the learning outcomes and our task performance. Uh, some observe the, the upside that VR could potentially hurt your performance. Um, and the reason is also the explanation, you know, interestingly, uh, is actually very similar. You know, one group of people say 
uh, VR can improve the performance because it provides additional information for you to digest. But the other uh, school of researchers say, because VR can provide additional information, it actually overburden your cognitive process. So uh, in order to somehow narrow the gap, uh, my research team actually performed uh, several experiments. So we actually uh, observed what happened to our cognition when you are digesting the information, which we call encoding phase, and when you're trying to use the information, uh, trying to retrieve the memory, which we call information decoding. So we actually gave people the 2D drawings, the 3D models, VR and AR, and we measure their cognitive load in the encoding phase and also the decoding phase separately <clears throat> and using a, a neural imaging device and also the eye tracking analysis. We found a very interesting thing, <clears throat> which we call the cognitive load budgeting theory. So the budget you have for information encoding and decoding, the total budget remains the same. The only thing VR and AR changes is actually to allocate some of the cognitive load to the front end of the story. So it actually makes the encoding much more difficult. If you ask people to learn something using 2D drawing and something in VR, actually using VR will make the learning a little bit harder. It will require higher cognitive load to digest the information. But when the same person tries to use the memorized information in work, uh, which is the decoding phase. Actually, we observe that VR, VR teams tend to use lower cognitive load. It's actually much easier. This is actually because of the situated learning. You, you learn something in the same environment, you use, the, you use the, the information in the same environment, actually the retrieval will be much easier. So to answer your question, will VR uh, bring down the cognitive load? I guess it's not a simple answer. Um, it's, it's actually allocate the cognitive load in different phases. But for most industrial applications, we do prefer to uh, moving the cognitive load to the learning phase. That's probably why VR will be very promising to support production. Wow, it doesn't seem like uh, it's a yes or no answer, and it's much more co complex. Yeah. It does seem like VR has, as you say, many applications for the future. Yeah. Unfortunately, our time is up. Are there any final notes, Professor Du, that you would like to share concerning VR? Yes. Uh, so, you know, I really want to say VR and AR uh, are promising technologies for our industry. Actually, VR AR is the second largest users uh, of VR AR. Uh, sorry, our industry, the civil engineering and the real estate industry is the second largest users of, uh, of VR AR uh, system. Um, so we can use VR, for example, to show the customers of a yet to build a building so the, the buyers can uh, remodeling that in the virtual world and also see the, all the decorations they want. Uh, engineers can use VR AR to design the structures, can see uh, how the building reacts to different loads. The general contractors can use VR AR to coordinate the activities with subcontractors. And also, you know, people can use uh, VR AR to check the sustainability performance of the building, like the thermal performance, and how different facade design is uh, behaving in terms of different paths of sunlight. So I have to say VR and AR are so promising and that's why people call them the first, the fourth wave of the computing platform after you know, PC 
uh, internet and a mobile phone. But still, there are a lot of unknowns, like right, like we discussed. So that's why, as a researcher in this area, I'm so excited, and also I urge, you know, like a consolidated effort from the DSA committee. Um, and so let's work together to answer all the unknowns. Yes, I agree. Thank you, Professor Du, for your time and for sharing your view and research on virtual reality.